This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. The person who influenced me in my thinking lived 300 years ago. His name was Sir Isaac Newton. Now, kids of studying science probably would ask, what has a scientist got to do with Bible teaching? A whole lot. Listen carefully. <laughs> Newton was a man of deep Christian faith. Newton was one of the great Bible scholars. Newton was a great theologian as well as a scientist. And the very last book that was written by Sir Isaac Newton was on the book of Revelation. Let me read just to you briefly what he said. God gave us these prophecies not to gratify man's curiosity by enabling them to foreknow things, but that after they were fulfilled, they might be interpreted by the event, and His own providence be then manifested thereby to the world. What is Newton saying? Listen carefully, please. He is saying to us that we need to be very careful. We need to be extremely careful regarding the motivation of studying and reading the book of Revelation. We need to be extremely careful how we approach that incredible book, because Revelation gives us a vision, a new vision. And it's given to us by the Lord not to gratify our curiosities or to reflect the egos of so-called prophetic teachers who seem to think that they have some secrets. God gave us the book of Revelation to change our lives here and now. If your life has not been perceptibly changed by the time we finish studying the book of Revelation together, you better examine your life. As Paul said, examine your life. Are you in the faith? Because that book ought to change us here and now. Do you know why? Of all 66 books of the Bible, the book of Revelation is the only book in which there's a blessing associated with reading it and studying it. Not only one blessing, two blessings. They're almost like a bookends. You find one blessing in chapter 1, verse 3, and the other is in chapter 22, verse 7. Now, I am personally convinced that because the Lord is true to His Word, the blessing will be ours. So what is that message of Revelation? What is the core message of Revelation? Listen carefully. If you're taking notes, I'm going to speak a little slower so you can get it. It is really found in chapter 1, verse 19. Underline Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will come to pass. Past, present, future. What you have seen, what is now, and what will come. Please listen carefully. The concept of holding the past, the present, and the future together is one of the most important concepts in the Bible. Because you know and I know 
that somehow in our ordinary lives, <laughs> you find people who are constantly living in the past. The past is holding them back with chains. The past, the past, the past, and they never make any progress because they're living in the past. Now, there are other Christians who live in the present. Well, just now, what is going to happen now, today, and that's it. No thought for the past or the future. Then there are others who are living for the future. It's the next thing. And they cannot even think about today and the days past and learn from the past eras or whatever it is. They're just constantly going for the, the next thing. The Bible teaches us very clearly that the past, the present, and the future must be held together if we are to live a balanced Christian life. From the past, we learn from those mistakes and grow through them. In the present, we walk with God today. And in the future, we expect with great deal of enthusiasm and excitement of what's going to happen. All of this must be together. Let me explain to you what I mean from the Bible. The Bible teaches us that we were saved in the past. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you're saved. That's past. We are being saved every day. We will be eternally saved. You see that? Past, present, future. The Bible also says that we changed in the past. I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. I mean, the sky was bluer, the sun was brighter. I mean, my whole life was turned upside down. So I was changed. But I'm continuously changing. If I'm not changing every day in the present, there's something wrong with me. The Bible said that we go from one point of glory into another. What's that mean? We grow into the character of Christ. But then we will be changed in the future. And that is the most glorious change of all because we will become perfect like Christ. Same thing with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is past. It came with Jesus. In Mark 1:14, he said, the kingdom of God is here. What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God in our lives. It's the reign of God in our hearts. So the kingdom of God passed with Jesus. The kingdom of God is now here, reigning and ruling in our hearts every single day. And the kingdom of God is coming when Jesus reigns and rules with our own perceptible eyes. You see, the kingdom of God is past, present, and future. Salvation is past, present, and future. The changing is past, present, and future. The same thing with the book of Revelation. It's already happened. It is happening. It will happen. Amen? When it happens, it's going to happen with intensity for the future. The Bible talks about the Great Tribulation as a future time in which there will be severe persecution and, and suffering. And most people agree that it's the period of seven years. That's what the Bible called the Great Tribulation. I want you to think with me about the first century Christians, these believers in Rome who were thrown into hungry lions. They were dipped in hot tar. The Nero persecution was so severe. If you lived at that time, wouldn't you not think that this is the Great Tribulation? Fast forward today. Headline news. If you're a Christian in Syria or Iraq and you watched as parents, your babies being crucified alive or beheaded or worse. Wouldn't you think the Great Tribulation is here? 
And yet the Great Tribulation will happen with far wider implication on global, global level. So it happened. It is happening, and it will happen in the future. And that is why this book of Revelation, the word means revealing. You know, in the Greek, it's apocalypsis. With a lot of people think of apocalypsis now in the movies. You know, you think it's disaster is going to happen. No, no. The, all the word means in Greek is that revealing or uncovering or showing us something that was covered and now it's uncovered. That's what revelation means. That is why this revealing book is a timeless book. It is a timely book. It is absolutely relevant today, as I'm going to show you in a minute. We can be absolutely sure that all of the prophetic events in the book of Revelation will come to pass with stunning accuracy, with the minutest detail fulfilled, because God always, always, always keeps His Word, just as it did in the Old Testament. All of the prophecies of Jesus' first coming in the Old Testament, they were fulfilled with a meticulous detail, with stunning descriptions of exactly as it prophesied in the Old Testament. You read in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to earth, about His birth of a virgin in Bethlehem, about him proclaiming the good news to the poor. You read about uh, how he, his power is going to restore sight to the blind, how he is being wounded for our transgressions, being crucified on a cross, being forsaken by the Father, and the death, burial, and resurrection. All in the Old Testament. They're all fulfilled in meticulous details. All of these prophecies that were prophesied came to pass. And in the same way, the prophecies about Jesus' second coming, which outnumber the prophecies in the Old Testament about His first coming, they will be fulfilled with stunning accuracy. Everything we will study in the book of Revelation will come to pass. So who is this John whom God used to open, to reveal, to expose this mystery this is no other than the disciple who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder. This is no other than the man who gave us that great gospel of John, account of Jesus. This is no other than the man who gave us the three magnificent epistles. That John was privileged to be caught up in heaven and was shown the glorified, magnified, soon-coming Jesus the Christ. Question. Why did Jesus reveal Himself this way to John? Good question. And the answer is really twofold. Listen carefully. The first reason is that the ascended, glorified, magnified Jesus wanted to send specific messages to His churches in Asia Minor. Some of these letters to these seven churches have condemnations to those churches. Others commendations. In fact, five out of the seven churches, Jesus said and called them to repentance, just as our churches in the 21st century today needs to repent. These letters Jesus wanted to encourage, to correct the first century church and the 21st century church. We will see how these letters, those seven letters, you're not reading somebody else's mail. We're reading our own mail. 
in these letters. The second reason why Jesus revealed all of this to John to give us an outline of the future history, the future events. Even if they are veiled in symbolism and images, but nonetheless, they give us an outline. But before I go any further, I just hope to God that none of you tuned in thinking that I'm going to give you some dates on when Jesus is coming back. (laughs) I hope to God you're not, because that would be utter blasphemy on my part. I just want to make sure. In fact, in Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said to the disciples, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Even the Son voluntarily did not want to know until He was glorified in heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus said to the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father had set by His own authority. Why is that? Why is that? So that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ be ready every moment of every day that He could come this afternoon, or He could come tomorrow, or He could come today, or any day that we are ready. We don't have to do anything else except be ready. Now, whether He comes first or we go to Him first, it really makes no difference. A believer must always be ready, and every generation must be ready to face the Lord and return of the Lord. Being constantly ready is not only honoring to the Lord, it is rewarding to the believer. Did you know that the Bible has a crown? There are five crowns in the Bible are mentioned, but one crown is mentioned for saved to those who love His appearing. So if you are waiting for the Lord's return, if you are preparing, if you're serving and giving and doing all the things you're doing in this life and in your mind that great day, then you have a special crown in heaven reserved for you. John himself, in Revelation 22, 10 and 12, believed that the Lord was coming soon. Probably he believed it was in his lifetime. Listen to what he said. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Behold, I'm coming soon. And you see, that led some of the skeptics who love to debunk biblical prophecy to say, see, poor old misguided, deluded John. He thought Jesus was coming back. Here we are 2,000 years later, and he's not back. See, here's the problem. People fall into error when they fail to interpret the Scripture by the Scripture. Not by what Dr. Smilfunga said, (laughs) but by the Scripture. And on this subject, if you interpret the Scripture by the Scripture, then you will hear what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, 4, 8, and 9. Listen carefully. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Here's what he continues. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. Amen? Amen. Interpret the Scripture by the Scripture. 
How many times did Jesus say the return of the Son of Man will be a surprise, will be sudden, and, and that most people will not be expecting except for those who are, uh, are alert and, and waiting for Him, that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, that the day of the Lord is coming. It's unexpected. Having said all of this, if you look around the world today, as I do, and you see how fragile the global economy is, and in Revelation 18, tells us there will be a global economic collapse. We not have understood that a few years ago. There's going to be a global economic collapse. So you, you look at, at the fragile world economy, global economy, how the news from the Middle East where it all began and where it all will end, how the news from the Middle East now occupies all of the headlines, how Israel is living almost in total isolation in the world today. How Islamic jihadis are shattering the securities of even world powers that they're literally kowtowing to them. How the spirit of delusion seemed to be covering so many people all over the world. How one clever world leader can put the wool over the eyes of billions of people and deceive them. It's so easy to see how it can happen, and it can happen anytime. And you cannot help but think that history is aligning with biblical prophecy. You cannot help but see that this great falling away of today, so many churches that once believed in the authority of the Scripture, they believe it no more, that sin and the glorification of sin is accepted as a virtue, uh, that the spirit of rebellion seems to be everywhere, uh, that biblical morality is condemned as evil, and that the practice of immorality is seen as good, even by many churches, even in this country, where we all did, and I certainly did as a boy longing to come here as the world's rock and bastion of freedom. We are seeing how that freedom is slipping away from us globally. The picture is even worse this vile surge by the jihadis against Christians or even their own fellow Muslims, the New Age movement that once was considered to be lunatic fringe has become mainstream and is promoted by entertainers, educators, and environmentalists. When satanic activities are accepted in some schools, can anyone doubt that we are living in the last days? In some sense, these events and these activities Say to me, at least, here's the opinion, I'll tell you when it's coming, that Satan is intensifying his activities because he senses that his time for the lake of fire is drawing near. One of Satan's ingenious deceptions is a movement in the West, in America, and in Canada, in many of mainline churches, even some evangelical churches, so-called evangelical churches, is called Chrislam where they're seeking to merge Christianity with Islam into one single homogeneous religion. There are some churches that are actually placing the Quran next to the Bible in the pews. There are some preachers who are preaching the words of Muhammad side by side by the words of Jesus. Many a church today have rejected the book of Revelation. And you know why. You know why. They want to worship 
a helpless babe in Bethlehem. They want to worship a helpless buddy hanging on a cross. They want to worship all of that, but not the risen, glorified, ascended, magnified, King of kings, Lord of lords, Judge Jesus, who is revealed in the book of Revelation. That's why they reject it. They are disturbed by the thought that that same Jesus who hung helplessly on the cross is coming back to sit on the judge's bench, and He will judge every single human being that ever lived. He is the righteous judge. And that's why they want to get stuck of the Jesus they can manipulate and control. They don't want the powerful Jesus. But let me tell you what the Scripture said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. He's no longer on that cross. He is risen, magnified, glorified, and soon coming King. And that is why the book of Revelation, of all the books of the Bible, presents us with a complete picture of the Christian faith. It gives us an awe-inspiring portrait of the glorified, soon-coming King Jesus. It gives us an awe-filled vision of the victorious King Jesus. It is a complete vision of who Jesus is and what He's going to do in the future. Listen very carefully, please. This is important. The book of Revelation completes our knowledge of Jesus. The book of Revelation completes our understanding of the Christian faith. The book of Revelation completes the gospel of salvation. It completes the past, the present, and the future. The book of Revelation, uh, we see Jesus in no longer hanging on a cross, but we'll see Him as a glorified Jesus in white and gold, with hair white as wool, with eyes blazed with fire with voice like rushing river. Uh, We see Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega. We see Jesus as the beginning and the end. We see Jesus as the only one with the keys of death and Hades. That's why. That is why there is a special blessing for those who study the book of Revelation. They will have a complete picture of the whole gospel. Himirat, please. In the Old Testament, you read the prophecies about Jesus coming from heaven to earth and Emmanuel, God with us. These prophecies, while we see them now and we study them and we're blessed by them, they mystified the rabbis in the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament prophecy predicts that the Messiah would come as a king and judge, triumphal and victorious. But also prophesy that the Messiah would come, suffer, and die. And the rabbis were mystified by that. How could there be two messiahs? How can we have a Messiah who reigns and rules with power and one who's going to suffer and die? Even one prophet... You don't have to go to all of them. Just one, Isaiah, gives us both pictures. And you can understand their mystification. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom forever and ever. Great! And yet, same prophet. Not another one. Same prophet. Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 4, 6, and 7. He said, the Messiah will come and suffer and die. Let me read it for you. Surely He took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned on his own way, to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet He did not open His mouth. He was like a a lamb to the slaughter, or as a sheep before his shearers, in silent. So he did not open his mouth. Two pictures by the same prophet. A Messiah who will suffer, and a Messiah who will reign and rule in power. Of course, in hindsight now, 2,000 years later, we say, of course they're talking about the same one. (laughs) One is talking about his first coming, the other one talking about his second coming. But you see, to those rabbis, they did not see this. They didn't live in our time. And, and therefore, they were debating all the stuff over and over. Some would get, and then the, the populace would fall on one side or the other. Some would believe a Messiah who would suffer. Others would believe a Messiah who would reign victorious. But isn't that human nature like that? I am so grateful for the book of Revelation because it reveals this mystery that mystified rabbis for years and years. Now, at this introductory message, I want to come clean with you. <laughs> there are godly scholars and wonderful Bible teachers who disagree on some of the little details in the book of Revelation. I'm telling you, those are people I love with all my heart. They're dear friends. They love God as much as I do, in fact, more than I do. But they disagree on all the details. I'll give you an example. A very precious friend teaches and believes that if we see the Antichrist, ooh, we missed out on the rapture. I was talking to another dear friend, and I said, you know, so-and-so was telling me that if we see the Antichrist, that we missed out on the rapture. I said, no, 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 brother, that's not right. He said, we're going to see the Antichrist for three and a half years, and then in the middle of the seven years, we'll be raptured. I told you, I love them dearly. I, in it, realized long ago as I studied all these ideas and interpretations and the methods that that same Jesus who died and rose again will come back reigning and ruling. That same Messiah who suffered and crucified will sit on the judge's bench to judge the world. That the same Jesus who had nowhere to lay his head, the earth will not be good enough for, as a footstool. That the same Jesus who was rejected will reject all those who have rejected Him. That same Jesus who is now, right now, this very moment, has open arms and says, Come to me, come to me, and I'll forgive your sins. Repent, and I will give you eternal life. The same Jesus who is welcoming everyone now is the same Jesus who will shut the door, and the opportunity has gone forever. This is really the purpose. That's it. And whether it's three and a half years or two, whether we go through the tribulation or don't go through the tribulation, if we go through it, God will give us grace to sustain us. 
If he doesn't, and he comes early, I hope these guys are right anyway, because I'm as chicken as the rest of you. <laughs> I don't want to go through Not one day, not three and a half years. Are you kidding? But it makes no difference. Don't get sidetracked by these little details that makes no difference. Because you miss out the whole picture. You miss out the important part of that whole book and why Jesus took John there and gave him the ability to write these things down in details. I think all of the godly Bible teachers will believe four things, and these are indisputable. First, that those who welcome Christ as their Savior and Lord here and now will be welcomed in heaven in His eternal habitation when He returns. Secondly, that Jesus will return as He promised. Thirdly, that He will be the judge, and He will judge everyone who refuse to accept Him as the only Savior and Lord in the whole world. And fourthly, when Jesus appears, those of us who love Him will be with Him. That's it. These are the indisputable facts about the book of Revelation. The question is, if Jesus returns this afternoon, will you be thrilled or afraid? Will you be terrified or be thrilled? Really, that's the question that you must ask yourself, and don't rest until you answer it. But I want to speak to that believer who believes in the return of Christ and yet doing very little preparation for that great day. I want to plead with you. Take a stock of your life and begin to prepare and plan on a daily basis. There are people who prepare, take time to plan a vacation or even their retirement more than they prepare for what's going to be forever and ever and ever and ever. Will you tell others the good news of Jesus? May God grant you response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we are indebted to you for our salvation. You saved us. We're indebted to you that you're saving us every day. You're growing us in grace and in righteousness. And we're indebted to you because we know we're going to be saved. That this body is going to give way to a glorified body like Jesus' body after the resurrection. We thank you for that complete job. We thank you for that complete picture. May that be the motive of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.